Hello, welcome to Akbar's Chamber. I'm your host, Niall Green, and in this episode, we're going to be exploring the Ottoman legacy in Southeast Europe. The region of Southeast Europe is often known as the Balkans. Today, it encompasses Greece, Albania, Romania, and Bulgaria, as well as the former Yugoslav republics, such as Bosnia-Herzegovina, Serbia, Macedonia, among others. This was a region that from the mid-1300s until in some corners of the Balkans as late as 1912 was ruled by the Ottoman Empire, an empire that was as much a European empire as a Middle Eastern one. And over the next hour, we're going to be exploring the range of Muslim communities, many who spoke European languages and of European ethnic as well as linguistic backgrounds that evolved over what amounted to, in some regions of the Balkans at least, almost six centuries of Ottoman rule. But we're also going to be exploring their interactions with their Christian and indeed their Jewish neighbours over this long period. And we'll also be looking at the bottom end, as it were, of the analytical spectrum, focusing not only on the state and the empire, on the Ottomans, but also looking at a more ground level of day-to-day -day life, of religious and indeed cultural interactions, and the places where those interactions took place across this region of the European continent. Joining me today in our conversation is Professor Nathalie Cleyer. She's a professor at the École des Hautitudes en Sciences Sociales in Paris and a senior research fellow at the Centre National de Recherche Scientifique, also in Paris. She's also the head of department at the Centre for Turkish Ottoman, Balkanic and Central Asiatic Studies in Paris. Her many books include written in this case with Javier Bourarel, Europe's Balkan Muslims, A New History, published by Hearst in 2017. Hello, Natalie. Welcome to Akbar's Chamber. Hello, Nile. I'm very happy to be with you. Well, so uh, am I. I'm delighted, and I'm sure our listeners will be as they hear you tell us and tour us through the Balkans, through the regions of southeastern Europe that were part of the Ottoman Empire and some regions at least of the Balkans for a little over five centuries. And of course, regions of, of Europe that still have important, significant and extremely interesting Muslim populations today in the present day. But Balkan history is, of course, notoriously complex. So to help us gain an initial sense of who lived and who ruled, where and when in this part of southeastern Europe that we call the Balkans, can you give us, Natalie, three snapshots of the political and human geography of the Balkans, first in around the year 1200, then around the year 1600, and then today? Yes, of course. Uh, first, I... I... I, I would like to say that Balkan history is complex, but I'm not sure that it is more complex than the history of uh, Western Europe, uh, of America or Southeast Asia, because uh, as uh, in other regions, uh, there are, yes, a mosaic of, uh, of people and, and uh, uh, different uh, historical periods, but uh, maybe it's because it's, uh, I don't know, because um, I was thinking about this idea of complexity, maybe it's because it is a region that was for a long time at the margins of different empires. So, um, but to come back to your uh, to your question, so uh, less yes, 
let's uh, take these uh, three uh, snapshots. So 1200, 1200, it's a period uh, when the, the grandeur of the uh, Eastern Roman Empire, so the, the Byzantine Empire, um, has passed. And uh, there are already different political entities uh, that correspond also to um, different cultures, for example, uh, the uh, the Bulgarian um, kingdom or uh, even empire, uh, the uh, more to the north, the, the Serbian uh, principality, um, and even the Kumans are at that time, um, um, let's say, uh, um, at the in the northwestern corner of the of the peninsula. Uh, so, um, but uh, uh, 12,000, it's just four years before a very important event. Uh, so 1204, uh, when the fourth crusade uh, reached Constantinople and destroyed the, so the, the capital the, the very capital of the uh, Byzantine Empire and caused so the creation of a, of a Latin Empire uh, there, but also the split of, uh, of the Byzantine Empire and, and for a while. So uh, at that time we have this, uh, uh, let's say, um, parcelization of the, of the Byzantine Empire. Uh, which will survive uh, for uh, uh, two and a half century uh, more. Uh, but if we take now the, the second uh, uh, date that you gave, so uh, 1600, uh, then the situation is completely different uh, because in the meantime, uh, another power uh, which uh, began uh, in the uh, western part of Anatolia, so the the uh, the small Ottoman Emirate, so a Turkish Emirate, which in a uh, in a way succeeded to another uh, uh, Turkish political entity, the Seljukids, that were more in central Anatolia. Uh, so this small Emirate. Uh, which uh, was born around uh, 1300, um, succeeded in expanding and conquering uh, first, so Western Anatolia, and then also uh, part of the Balkans uh, 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 since the, uh, the mid uh, 14th century. And then also uh, Constantinople in uh, 1453. And so in uh, 1600, uh, the Ottoman Empire is almost at his, in the Balkans, uh, at his uh, peak, uh, because it, uh, uh, in uh, 15, uh, uh, I'm not wrong, in 1520, uh, nine, even uh, the uh, Ottoman troops uh, were besieging uh, Vienna, so uh, were uh, putting uh, Austria into uh, into danger. But uh, nevertheless, they had conquered uh, almost all the peninsula, even part of uh, Hungary, the uh, the Romanian principalities. Uh, Bosnia, Serbia, Albania, Greece, etc. Uh, uh, the only thing is that uh, the, the way they were um, uh, ruling over these lands um, was different according to the regions. For example, uh, the Romanian principalities, um, and the Romanian principalities uh, 
were uh, only uh, paying a, a tribute uh, and uh, the, the 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 rule the Ottoman rule was much more effective on uh, the Bulgarians or the Greek, Greek lands, etc. And uh, as far as uh, today is uh, concerned, uh, in a way, so after the the fall of the uh, uh, communist regimes in the Balkans, uh, which were present in all the countries except in Greece. In a way, we can say that uh, the fall of communism is also the, the end of empires uh, and the, uh, the end of a process of uh, uh, creation of uh, nation states. Because in a way, why? Because Yugoslavia was not a nation state. So uh, in a way, it was also an, a small empire. It was a federation, but of a small empire. So now we have uh, a, a mosaic of uh, nation states uh, where the Muslims, uh, no, because maybe I should say that I will go back uh, a few seconds to the uh, 1600, uh, because if we consider at that time the, let's say, the human map of the of the region, uh, there was a big change compared to uh, 1200, because the Ottoman conquest uh, brought Islam, and so uh, in different ways, and. Uh, so in uh, in uh, 1600, we have also Turks in the peninsula. We have also Muslims that are not Turks, but we have also uh, this new uh, uh, ethnic group. Uh, as far as uh, the uh, the actual uh, uh, period is concerned, uh, the Muslims are present in uh, all these uh, Balkan countries. Uh, they are generally minorities, but not uh, in all the countries because there are three countries now where uh, there is a Muslim majority, Albania. And Albania, uh, which was created in 1912, 1913, was the first Muslim country in Europe. Um, it's a small country, but the, uh, the, uh, there were and there is still more than 50% of, uh, of Muslims. But now, now since the collapse of, uh, of Yugoslavia, there are two other countries with a Muslim majority. Um, uh, so an absolute majority, Kosovo, and uh, uh, only um, relative majority, Bosnia-Herzegovina. Well, that's fascinating, Natalie. That's really given us uh, an initial foothold, isn't it? All three snapshots that, that I asked you for. And, and you've given us a, a few, I think, really very useful kind of conceptual or explanatory terms as well that I think we should keep in mind. And and one of those is is empire, isn't it? And and, and what we think of as an empire, we might think, well, is that just something that's big? Well, historians would say, well, empire, you know, it might be big, but but what is perhaps one of the key definitions of an empire is the the plurality of different peoples, different oh, yeah. ethnic groups, mm -hmm. different religious groups, and indeed different languages. And that is, I think, really important when we think of the Byzantine Empire. The rulers were, well, in what we would now think of as, let's say, Greek or Orthodox Christian, but mm -hmm. there were various other religious minorities there too, and particularly even more so under then the Ottoman Empire, Jewish minorities, various different types of Muslim religious minorities, yeah. and of course, various types of Christians as well. And that gives us then, leads us perhaps to the other key, very useful term used of a mosaic. And since we're focusing on, on the Muslims of Southeastern Europe and the Balkans today over this long period, um, we've got to recognize that there's, as you've already hinted for us, that these Muslims themselves are an ethno-linguistic and indeed a religious mosaic. There's various forms of Islam, various Sufi orders and various, let's say, modernist and different versions of Islam in the modern, as well as the 
the medieval and early modern period. But also, as you, you've hinted as well, there are, there's not only Turks. There are Turks who come and settle in the Balkans and also Tatars from further eastern Central Asia to some yeah. bits like Romania and, and so on. Um, but there are also, of course, like the Albanian Muslims and indeed Bosnians and others. These are Slavic speakers, aren't they? Or indeed speakers of Slavic languages or of Albanian, uh, another European Illyrian group language. So, so we've got this kind of ethnic and linguistic mosaic of Muslims as well. And the last key concept that perhaps will come back in the, the, towards the end of our discussion is of nation states. And that's a different type of, of formation, isn't it? A different type of political formation and one which is perhaps, well, not perhaps, I suppose, definitively distinct from this idea of a mosaic. The nation state in that classic formulation from the 19th century and indeed of its late 20th century reassertion in the Balkans, the nation state as one people, one language, and indeed in, in the hardest form as one religion. So we're getting this sort of real kind of shift from empires and mosaics, not always a pretty picture. Of course, there were violent episodes as yeah. well as coexistence through these imperial histories. Um, but that mosaic then is something we're going to be, be looking at more. So one of, I guess, one of the most contentious or perhaps debated uncertain questions in, in Balkan history is, is how did these different Muslim communities come about? Was it through, so let's say, the forced conquest by the sword and forced conversion? Was it through immigration of Turks and Tatars? What about these, the Bosnian, the Slavic, the indeed Serbian-speaking and, and Bulgarian-speaking Muslims, as you mentioned, and indeed the Albanians as well? So that's leading me then to my next question I want to ask you as just today's expert, mm. not me, of course, as you. How did Islam then spread across the Balkans and, and who were the main participants in this major religious transformation from a majority Christian Orthodox space to a space that is more of this religious and, uh, let's say, Christian Muslim and indeed Jewish mosaic? <laughs> So in your question, you already uh, mentioned, in fact, two of the three ways we can explain uh, the presence and the spread of Islam and the presence of Muslims in, in the region. Uh, so settlement and conversion. But uh, I always uh, say that when I am speaking about this uh, topic that in fact there is a third uh, way that we are um, forgetting. It's the descent, reproduction or, or natality because uh, so in, uh, at a certain moment uh, the Muslims that are in the region are simply the descendants of Muslims that were living and are living uh, there. So it's it's uh, it's important also to uh, to 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 think about that. Right. But so, to, so, so uh, just to sort of clarify, Natalie. So in a sense, it, it's it's being born as a Muslim, and a Muslim, Islam is your natural heritage. It's, there's no in a sense exactly. process more than being born and raised. Exactly, exactly. And so if you, uh, for example, it, then uh, it can, if um, in a certain region, the Muslims have a higher natality than the Christians, then the number of Muslims will also uh, increase. Sometimes it's the contrary. So there are also these uh, phenomena that are important to and it's also important because uh, we will come back to this uh, speaking uh, uh, about uh, conversion. Uh, so um, if there are Muslims, it's not only that these people came and, uh, and are not uh, legit, have no legitimacy to be uh, there. So it, that's why it's important also to underline this, I think. But so there were also at a certain moments and certain periods, uh, Muslims that uh, came and were settled. 
especially at the beginning of the conquest of, of the Ottoman conquest, um, someone like the, uh, the famous Ottomanist in Algec uh, wrote about that, about the colonization process, uh, which implied also the creation of uh, settlements of uh, cities around pious foundations by the Sultan or by um, important figures of the, uh, of the empire. Uh, and very often, but not always, but very often also associated with Sufi groups. Uh, for example, Sarajevo, we know that Sarajevo was uh, built uh, around uh, a Sufi lodge um, and, uh, and also uh, other um, uh, buildings, pious buildings, but also um, administrative buildings that uh, obey a landlord um, uh, built and uh, endowed with uh, lands uh, to, to make uh, these institutions and the people around them uh, living. But uh, there are many places like that. So settlements and uh, the settlement, it means that yeah, there were people, so mainly Muslims, uh, Turkish-speaking Muslims that came from Anatolia and settled in different places. Uh, generally, more so it was in the first uh, period of conquest, and so it was also more in the Bulgarian lands, in the Greek lands, in uh, in Macedonia. Uh, uh, Kosovo, and so less in the western part, Albania and uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina. But settlement, uh, it's also, we, we very often we uh, forget that, but you mentioned already the Tatars. So the Tatars, uh, but also uh, Turks, uh, were, and also Slavic uh, uh, Muslims, were settled as refugees, so it was more uh, in the 19th century, um, and because of the reflux of the Ottoman Empire, so in or in the, the influence of the, of, the, of the Ottoman Empire uh, on Caucasus, Crimea, and then the north part uh, of, the, uh, of the Balkans, so these refugees were so, so very often these Muslims were Muslims were killed in the in the territories reconquered, but but many uh, Muslims um, uh, were uh, were settled in the Ottoman Empire as refugees, and and they were so who uh, the, the the Ottoman administration. Uh, uh, set up, for example, a commission, the Mujahirin Commissionu, in order to um, to settle in precise, very precise places, these Muslims. It was also in order to uh, strengthen the Muslim presence in the uh, remaining territories. So it's uh, because uh, the Muslims had always been. Um, minority in the sense not politically politically they were belonging to the uh, let's say to the uh, upper class but not social upper class but to the political uh, the first class political uh, subjects uh, but there had always been in the Balkans uh, numerically a minority but in the remaining, in the 19th century, in the remaining territories, uh, the Ottoman authorities tried to uh, increase the number of, uh, of Muslims in, in, in some, especially in the strategical uh, places. So settlement, it's the, the first uh, way uh, the, the, the Islam spread uh, the second one is conversion. Conversion, so uh, so the, the 
the fact that there are Muslims speaking uh, Albanian, Bulgarian, uh, Slavic languages, even Greek. There were also uh, uh, in Crete, for example, but also in some places in uh, in the north of uh, Greece, uh, of, of uh, the present Greece. So it's um, uh, so so it's, it's the proof that. Uh, local people converted to, to Islam, even if we have not to forget processes of mixing of, and of uh, changing of uh, uh, linguistic identity and also um, ethnic identity. So there were processes of, uh, of uh, uh, Turkification or Turcization, I don't know. How uh, to say exactly? Also, uh, vice versa, processes of Slavization, of Albanization. So it's not because also there were uh, internal migration. So it's uh, complicated. But but the fact is that many uh, uh, local people converted to Islam. <laughs> This issue of the conversion is, um, is very complicated and very controversial because it's very political. Uh, so from the, the 19th century, from the very forming of, uh, of the, the new nation state, uh, this issue is controversial. Why? Because uh, uh, if you say first uh, at that time, the idea is to to legitimate the creation of these new states, of these new sovereignties, uh, there the, the was a very strong process of desotomanization and desislamization. So it means that the uh, Turks or Ottoman was uh, to be rejected, but not only the sovereignty, but also the, the the very people, the Muslims. And one of the first places this is happening, Natalie, isn't it? It, it? It's in what we now think of as Greece, that nation state that is created around 1830, the first of the post-Ottoman and indeed, as you're saying, anti-Ottoman spaces, so much so that a place like the Parthenon and the Acropolis in Athens has mosques. The Temple of the Winds is, a, is for mm. several centuries a Medlevi Sufi lodge. And we would never now think that, that the Parthenon was... A Muslim religious space because that's been very deliberately erased, isn't it? The creation of a Greek identity based on antiquity. But anyway, you, I just I just thought I'd throw that in. But no, 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 you 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 are right because it's not only the uh, also the the people that were rejected, but also buildings, also markers, you know, in uh, in the landscape. So it's uh, the desotomanization. Uh, for example, Bernard Lory wrote uh, a very important book about the desotomanization in the Bulgarian lands, and, and uh, it's uh, uh, totally uh, uh, confirm uh, what uh, you are uh, saying. So um, uh, the, um, the the Turks were so uh, associated with the Ottoman rule and so rejected but sometimes also the Muslims. So also the, uh, these Muslims that were speaking the same language as the founder of the new state, so Greek or, or Slavic language or in Bulgaria or, or in, uh, in, uh, in Serbia. Uh, and so there were theories to, uh, to justify uh, the rejection, but sometimes, sometimes these Muslims speaking the local languages, the Balkan languages, were um, considered as uh, uh, people who had been forced. Oh, of course, in fact, it was their ancestors, not not themselves, but their ancestors. Uh, were supposed to have been converted by force. And the conclusion in this uh, uh, 
way of thinking was that, so they were converted by force, so they have their true religion is Christianity, so they have to reconvert. So their descents have to, re, to reconvert. So you can imagine if you are a Muslim at that time and uh, okay, maybe you say also, well, my, my, my ancestors were converted by force, but should I reconvert? Reconvert what? I was born as a Muslim. So um, this to say that uh, th these uh, theories uh, about conversions were from the beginning on very politicized. Uh, but there were different uh, theories about the conversions. So the forced conversion, of course, there were forced conversions sometimes uh, during the war or because of a local ruler or uh, there were, but you cannot say, so if you imagine that you, we, you, we have these five centuries because the process of conversion lasted till the end of the uh, Ottoman rule. In, uh, I studied the Albanian case and in the Northern Albania, there are conversions also at the beginning of the 20th century. So, uh, so there were forced conversions, but you cannot say that all the conversions were forced. Uh, another theory is the, um, the integration of uh, Christian uh, children into the uh, Janissary Corps. Uh, this, is, uh, this is true, so this uh, system of the Defshirme, uh, which consisted in uh, uh, taking so um, uh, children between 10 and 15, and then these children were raised uh, in the palace in, uh, in, in Istanbul, Constantinople, and then became the kind of uh, elite soldiers. Uh, in fact, uh, okay, this process is, uh, existed, and, uh, but it cannot explain at all all the conversions because first, this system was very, let's say, not very, but, but quickly abandoned. So uh, already at the beginning, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, around the beginning of the 17th century, it was abandoned. So it's, it's not possible to explain all the conversions in the Balkans with this uh, theory. Then there is also the theory of the, uh, the economic pressure. So, and there it is true that uh, the, uh, the non-Muslims, be they Christians or Jews, had to pay specific tax uh, that the Muslims were not paying. So uh, it can be, yes, that um, uh, people converted to escape this uh, uh, burden, this uh, financial uh, burden. But again, uh, if, you, if we take all the regions and all the periods, it's, uh, it's, uh, it doesn't work. It's, it's not... Uh, um, sufficient, it is a real uh, factor, but not uh, a, a sufficient explanation. Another theory, it's the role of the devish orders. Uh, uh, I think also in, in other um, uh, region of the world, uh, it was, it is uh, very often um, strengthened that the devish orders played a role in the spreading of Islam because they were uh, offering another kind of Islam that was uh, maybe closer to, uh, to Christianity. Yeah, and the dervish orders, we, in other places, we'll call them the same thing, the Sufi orders, isn't it? Like the, the followers exactly. of Rumi, the Mevlevis, the Bektashis, the Naqshbandis, these really influential the Sufi orders throughout the Islamic world, very important in, throughout the Balkans as well. Yeah, they are very important. 
they are very important in the uh, in the social and polit uh, and uh, religious and political life of the of the Muslims, but it, the problem is that we have only a few um, sources about the role in the conversion. So I, I would be uh, prudent, uh, cautious. Excuse me. <laughs> I, I would be cautious in uh, explaining the conversion by only the role of and, and uh, massively the role of the Sufi orders. Uh, so because, uh, as I said already, I think that. Uh, uh, the, the Ottoman period, you know, 500 centuries, it's enormous. So it's uh, the, the conditions were very different uh, at the beginning and in the 19th century. Uh, then also another important thing is that processes are more fluid than one can imagine. So a conversion, okay, in Islam conversion, you can uh, only you pronounce the um, the shahada and you you become a, a Muslim. In the at the end of the Ottoman Empire, it was more complicated. You, there was also an administrative uh, um, uh, procedure. Yeah, but, but the, the shahada, the, the professional faith, is one sentence. Yeah, you say one sentence. Well, with witnesses, yeah, you die. Exactly. But uh, but um, in fact, I think that. Uh, for example, in, in uh, um, uh, case studies that I studied concerning Northern Albania uh, in the 19th century, at the end of the 19th century, we see that, for example, people are, are taking uh, Muslim names, but without converting, then they are doing, uh, they are adopting some, some Muslim practices. And then, so, you see the contacts are, are very uh, complex and sometimes it's only after a long process that people are really converting. And uh, a last maybe uh, thing is that uh, in the other theories, of, in the general theories, who are responsible, in fact, the, uh, the authorities, so the, uh, the local or, or the uh, imperial rulers, the, uh, the financial administration, or the dervish orders. But uh, sometimes, they, very often maybe, uh, the, it came from the people, but also very often it was someone, so the, uh, the chief of the family, who decided to convert, and the other members of the family had to, uh, to accept this and to follow, or maybe they were not exactly following. So you see that, uh, yeah, that's why I said that it's more complicated. Well, you've given us a, a really rich sense then, and, and I think sort of a, a, an importantly kind of subtle and nuanced sense then of, of these range of processes that, that each of them uh, uh, play out over longer periods than, than, than perhaps we, we often think, and indeed have a, a, a less sort of black and white Muslim or Christian um, a, a sort of range of, as you've said, fluidity. There's a, there's a term, isn't it, that's often used for the studies of other parts of of the world, in fact, I won't even say the Islamic world, this term Islamicate, which means that say kind of mm. culturally exposed yeah. to Islam without necessarily yeah. being Muslim by, mm. by religiosity. And that's really characterizes much of the, of, of the culture of, of the Balkans, even for the non-Muslims, you know, kind of, and still today exactly. in terms of food or music and things that are often seen as, you know, kind of essentially Serbian or Macedonian musical clothes, they're, they're Islamicate and that sets, uh, and exactly. that, that's important, that sense mm. of fluidity. An empire is in perhaps part of that. I think the other, one, of the, one of the other very important uh, points you, you made, Natalie, was, was this interplay between people being born as Muslims and over generation to generation, mm. their descent as Muslims, and over this long period. I mean, after all, 
the Ottomans, and perhaps for the sake of simplification, let's say, Islam arrives in the Balkans around 1350. And this, of course, means that through to the present day, there have been Muslims uh, of various ethnicities, Slavic and, 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 mm-hmm. and Albanian, as well as Turkish or Turkic, in, in Southeastern Europe for far longer than there have been people of European and Christian heritage in North and South America. This is an incredibly long time. So yeah. these people belong there. They're, they're European exactly. Muslims. They're, you know, mm-hmm. they're there for such a long time that their roots are really deep. But of course, as we've hinted as well, their roots in terms of place, building, language, indeed script, were in many ways kind of systematically removed, destroyed uh, since the, the 19th century. I gave the example of the re, re-Hellenization, I suppose. So we've done lots of re's or re-Hellenization of the Parthenon. And, but of course, mm. there are many other sites, dervish Sufi lodges that were turned into churches or indeed places that had been shared religious sites of Christians and Muslims and perhaps people who moved between and didn't have a clear sense of of them being either or um, that were places that were uh, venerated as shrines to Saint uh, Saint George or to Ilias who were equally venerated by 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 Muslims as shrines to Ilias of course also Muslim uh, prophet, or indeed to various of the Sufis. So I think this has really given us a sort of a sense then of the this fluidity, this variation, this complexity, and, and the rootedness in mm. terms of language as well. Various Balkan languages, we now might think of these languages as being written in Latin script. They're European languages, but they were written, they were still European languages, Slavic, Albanian, indeed other languages of the of, of the Balkans, non-Turkic languages, but were written in Arabic script for a time as well. Just as in Western Europe, we had Spanish and Iberian languages written in Arabic script, Al-Khamiado, as it's called within yeah. the history of Spain. So, yeah, sort of more than this either or, we have a more complex uh, picture there. So, Natalie, perhaps as we're dwelling on this question or going deep into this question of Muslim-Christian interactions and, and trying to sort of go beyond an idea of, of just Muslim or just Christian over these five, six, you know, kind of more than six centuries, really, overall, sort of going on for seven centuries, really, since the arrival of, of, of Islam in, in Southeastern Europe. Perhaps you can give us a, a deeper sense of, of some examples then of, of how these so to speak, Muslim-Christian interactions uh, developed over, over these many centuries. Um, yes, it's a, I think it's a very uh, important question that uh, generally is um, understood uh, too much, I would say, uh, from the top down, too much uh, as um, you know, that there is this idea of the uh, millet system uh, when one speaks about the uh, Ottoman Empire. So, millet meaning the um, ethno confessional community. And so, as if there was uh, so a collection of, uh, uh, of uh, such communities, uh, and that the, uh, the Ottoman authorities uh, were dealing with the population through this system. So we know that it's uh, already a long time ago that... Uh, uh, and just to, just to simplify, Natalie, when, what we mean by this is, just to, for the sake of simplicity, the millet system simplified. There's a head of the Orthodox Christians, and there's a head of the Muslims, and a head of the Jewish community, and that's what the the Ottoman Empire manages its population through these hard millets, these hard religious communities in their heads. Simplified version. So uh, generally there is this idea uh, too much top down that the Ottoman authorities are dealing with the population through a millet system. So it means a system of uh, communities, the Orthodox uh, communities, with the patriarch at his head and the uh, the Jewish community, etc., and the Muslim community, of course, also. But 
if we look at uh, things more uh, from below, then we will see that uh, even the uh, interaction of the population with the, the uh, authorities are more complex because the life is not only a religious life, it's also a, an economical, uh, a social, a political life. And, uh, uh, and people are have a, a kind of, uh, of, uh, of leeway. So then if we look like this, we see that uh, the, um, the interactions between Muslims and non-Muslims are much more fluid and complex. I tried to a bit to typologize these um, uh, interactions and I, um, I propose to, uh, um, uh, to uh, see different kinds of, of such interactions. First, for example, um, becoming. So becoming, uh, it's uh, uh, the conversions, but the conversions, as I explained uh, before, so as a process, very often a long process, not so becoming. So maybe you, uh, you do not convert totally, but uh, so first becoming, then um, uh, uh, doing as. So uh, you, for example, uh, as a, a Christian, you will, um, you will uh, respect the Ramadan. But so to do the Ramadan, to, to, uh, it doesn't mean that you become a Muslim, but there were very often such cases. Um, then you have also practicing beyond. Practicing beyond, what does it mean? It means that, for example, you are uh, so you are a Christian or a Jew, and uh, your daughter is ill, and you go to the uh, the sheikh, so the the uh, the spiritual master of a Sufi order. Or you go to uh, the tomb of a, a dead Sufi in order to ask for the the baraka, so the uh, uh, the, the, the and, and to, so that your uh, daughter uh, will recover. Yeah, the baraka, uh, the blessing power, is it the miraculous? Yeah, ble yeah, blessing power. So. Uh, or it could be for other reasons. So this practicing beyond, and we know in the religious studies that also practice, uh, there is this magical power of uh, asking the other. So the other has also a magical uh, power. Um, you have also erasing, erasing boundaries. So, Erasing boundaries, it's, it means, for example, that um, you will say, we are all the same. Uh, there is no difference between us, uh, Christians and, and Muslims. So it's, it's a way to, uh, uh, yeah, to, to include uh, the other. Uh, so it's another, so another kind of uh, interaction. Uh, I don't remember if I have uh, 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 forgotten, but you see uh, the, the the principle of this way of uh, of of um, analyzing this uh, uh, very um, um, so these uh, different kinds of uh, of interactions that are it, it's not only. Sometimes also uh, there is another kind of interaction that is very important in the case of, uh, of Bosnia-Herzegovina, but also uh, uh, in other places. But uh, for the, 
analysis of the conflict in the 1990s, it was um, strengthened the idea of komşuluk. So the komşi, uh, it means in Turkish, it means komşu, um, it means uh, neighbor. And also the, uh, the, the all uh, this kind of contract that exists, so not official, but uh, a social contract that exists between uh, neighbor, it's also another kind of uh, interaction. Well, these are really important. These, 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 as you're saying, these different types of interaction, indeed, neighborliness and, and, and shared practices, really, that, that forms of Islam, different, different forms of Christianity, were, were coexisted for so long that they overlapped in the very same places and indeed in the very same families, too. And, and I, it made me think, on the one hand, actually, that this is very similar to what we see happening during the centuries of of the Mughal Empire in India, yeah. that we have Muslims who join in with various Hindu religious festivities as just part of their wider culture of their neighbors or just something that they've raised with. And on the other hand, many, many Hindus going to the shrines of Sufis seeking that same baraka, that blessing, that healing power, whatever it might be. But uh, I want to add two things uh, that uh, maybe uh, I gave the impression that uh, these are only interactions at the um, at a very uh, uh, let's say uh, ground level, whereas there are also such interaction at a more uh, intellectual level. So it's very important, and that there are also other kinds of interactions that are the uh, the fight and the uh, uh, so um, it's also very important to take this there are so moments where uh, the, uh, the, 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 the 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 groups uh, the 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 no, not the border, but the uh, between groups, the, the boundaries, the boundaries between groups are uh, strengthened. Uh, and I use also um, another image uh, to make uh, things understandable that uh, in the, these societies, but also in other societies, there are moments where um, man, the magnetic poles that um, uh, some um, political or even in, um, other authorities represent or religious authorities represent, these magnetic poles uh, become very, very strong and people are obliged to align according to the different magnetic poles. So during uh, wars or during uh, fights. And then uh, after the, the, the conflicts, these uh, magnetic forces are uh, uh, becoming uh, um, less uh, important and but there there is a remanence so it makes it 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 means that uh these conflicts have an impact on the relations but uh that it's the maybe the uh, the boundaries uh can be crossed again or can be re imagined or really uh, invented again, uh, but with, uh, with remanences. That's, that's extremely important, isn't it, Natalie? Because we, 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 we don't want to sort of present just a happy picture of, of the no. Balkans, because there's also the other side of Balkan history and the term Balkanization, that for better or worse, is, no. is embedded in bloodshed conflict of hardening identities and I think it's really important that you've you've made the point that 
long-standing neighborliness and shared practices can evolve over time. They can perhaps quickly, or at least at certain moments, be torn apart. And presumably over the longer periods, or even over shorter periods, they can be put together again, even in a single lifetime. I mean, one example it brings to mind for, for me, perhaps, is, is, is Dmitry Kantemir, who's one of this late 17th, early 18th century, born into the, the family of these voivods in what's now Romania, these Christian ruling elites who rule on behalf of the Ottomans. He spends, what, 15, 20 years in Istanbul. He writes in Ottoman Turkish. He, he mm. creates a system of, of musical notation. His music is still being performed today by some European and Turkish musicians. He also writes one of the earliest, let's say, histories, national histories or histories of his own people, and then he actually joins with the Russians and rebels against the, yeah. the Ottomans during those wars when he maybe doesn't have to choose, but he, he decides to choose for, for the Russians as well. So it can be brought into a single career or single uh, lifetime. So I think that uh, another uh, thing Another aspect that we have to take into account is the fact that there are also inner boundaries uh, among the, uh, the Muslims or the non-Muslims. Among the Muslims, for example, you have uh, a different kind of uh, Islam. You have also the uh, uh, different uh, social groups. And uh, there are also uh, conflicts among this uh, group. Uh, to, to, um, to be more precise, for example, concerning the, uh, the religious aspects, there were always, uh, during the, uh, the Ottoman period, uh, conflicts between uh, the uh, more or less orthodox or unorthodox um, groups, uh, especially uh, in, the, in the Balkans. I, I worked on... Uh, on uh, groups that were fighting the uh, uh, non-sufficiently orthodox uh, uh, Muslims, but that were themselves also attacked because they were, for example, the uh, disciples of uh, Ibn Arabi, uh, so a famous uh, uh, Muslim philosopher. So uh, they were, uh, always this kind of, uh, of uh, inner boundaries. We, we have to imagine the, uh, uh, the uh, Muslim uh, community uh, as non-homogeneous. Yeah, that's a really important point. And, 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 and of course, Ditto, as you know better than I do, of course, among the, the various Christian orthodoxies, among the competing attempts to have a, whether it's only Greek Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, Macedonian no. Orthodox, et, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Uh, and, and, it, and as well, of course, with the competing sort of uh, ethnicities as well, Serbs, Croats, uh, etc. Now, mm. as we move through the, the 19th century, we have these various then uh, wars of independence, of course, as they're called from, from the one side, at least, starting with, with the, the Greek civil, the Greek uh, war of independence in the 1820s. We mentioned independence of Greece in around 1830. And then again through the 18, the 19th century, culminating in two really key moments, isn't it? The, the Treaty of Berlin, when the Ottomans lose effectively two-thirds of their territory in southeastern Europe, and then the, the Balkan Wars of 1912 to 13 that effectively end Ottoman rule in the Balkans, and then the establishment of these various different states or successor empires, as, you, as you've hinted, whether Yugoslavia or states like Albania that have uh, survived in different ways, socialist and then post-socialist to the present day. So as we come closer then to the, the present moment, since the 1990s, a, a series of conflicts led to the fragmentation of Yugoslavia in particular, as well as major political transformations across Southeastern Europe associated with the, the collapse of communism in the early 1990s. Now, of course, on the one hand, this led to the massacres and ethnic cleansing, and indeed the, the moments of the episodes of genocide in the Bosnian War. But on the other hand, the, the end of communism also provided new openings, new post-atheists in Albania or post-socialist uh, in other regions, new openings for Muslim religious life. And so 
If we now look finally at the forms of Islam that are practiced in the Balkans today in the 20th century, how, if at all, is the religious legacy of the Ottomans, the legacy of these centuries of Islam in South and Eastern Europe, still alive today? Um, just um, a small rectification. We can yes. say that Tur uh, the Ottoman Empire and and uh, Turkey are still in the Balkans. Yes, yes. Edirne, uh, uh, so there is a a small uh, a small part uh, of the Turkish territory. In, uh, yeah, that, that's right. No, it is an important point. Yeah, I don't want to be accused uh, of, no, of no. redrawing no, maps. No, but it's uh, no, but. Uh, uh, it's important because uh, it means uh, so. It it makes us um, uh, take into account the fact that um, the Turkey and the Balkans uh, should uh, be uh, taken as a not as a whole, but so Turkey is also a part of Europe. In yes. fact, of southeastern Europe. And it's uh, and it is related to your uh, question of the of the Ottoman legacy. Uh, th there is a um, an academic dispute about the uh, how what is uh, uh, what are the Balkans, uh, what is southeastern Europe, what are the limits, and uh, and in fact, if we some uh, Maria Todorova wrote, for example, that the Balkans are the, uh, the Ottoman legacy. So the very definition also of the Balkans, it's the Ottoman legacy. So then uh, if we take the, uh, the situation now, the situation now, there is an Ottoman legacy, but we are, uh, the Balkans are to be understood uh, in a post-Ottoman space. But also, but also, in um, European space, and also maybe sometimes also in um, Mediterranean space. So, um, uh, and sometimes also, if we, if you take uh, the uh, influence of uh, Russia or China in a more global uh, uh, space, you know uh, very well this uh, dimension. So, um, but the. I think that still, and, and especially concerning Islam, uh, of course, uh, the this uh, post-Ottoman, this Ottoman legacy is important. It's there is also, but uh, it, why? Because, for example, the, the Turkish actors were very important in uh, helping the um, rebuilding of. Uh, of uh, Islamic institutions in different uh, countries, uh, in, uh, in, in Bulgaria, in Greece, in, uh, in Albania, in, uh, in almost all the countries, uh, different institutions and different groups, Turkish groups, uh, not only the official ones, but also the network of uh, Fethullah Gulen uh, that uh, was, uh, now uh, repressed in uh, in, uh, in Turkey, uh, but but uh, you uh, if we look at the actors and the different uh, also um, Islamic uh, currents uh, present in uh, in post-socialist uh, uh, Balkans, we see that uh, there is also a kind of uh, of a global. Uh, an insertion in an, an inclusion into um, a, a global Islamic world with uh, the, the, the action of uh, uh, groups coming from Europe, coming from the Arab countries, even coming from uh, Southeast Asia, also Indonesia uh, was present. So Indonesia, it's not uh, the Ottoman uh, legacy. So uh, in fact, this legacy is uh, recombined, uh, is activated also because there are uh, human networks, so, so family networks, and, uh, 
and other an imaginary also that make this uh, legacy uh, reactivated, but also competing with other uh, other influences. Well, that's given us a, a real sense of this continued or indeed expanding, globalizing, perhaps mosaic of, of influences as we finish. And I think what our listeners will have taken away, especially from our, our conversation today and from your expert insights is, is the importance of not looking at this region in terms of either or, that these very mm -hmm. simplistic categories of Muslim or Christian, European or somehow Islamic, mm -hmm. Ottoman or, or local uh, are actually far too simplistic and blunt interpretive tools and labels for to us to understand this, this complex region, no more complex than anywhere else, as, as you said, but also I think a region of, of enduring fascination and a place where, after all, there are still active mosques that have been built and have been active for as long as some of the monasteries, the Christian monasteries of Western and Northern Europe, those other parts of, of the European continent. Professor Natalie Clay, thank you so much for talking to us and enlightening us in Akbar's chamber. Thank you. I thank you, Nile. Thank you very much. Da 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 da